0: Matthew chapter sixteen and Acts chapter two. Last week we we started a series on uh, God's dream team, uh, talking about the church. And uh, we over the next few weeks uh, we are going to be looking at different aspects uh, of the church that would make uh, a church great. Uh, that would make the church um, become God's the fulfillment of God's dream uh, that He prayed that the church would be and we looked at that a little bit last week uh, by starting out by looking at the prayer of Jesus in John 17 and we found that Jesus's prayer for his church was that they'd be a unified church uh, and how unity is essential uh, for us to be the church God has called us to be. Uh, Today we're going to look at another aspect of being a great church. Uh, This aspect is also uh, something that is necessary or essential in us, in us as a church, if we're going to be uh, be the fulfillment of God's dream uh, for the church. In uh, 1968, the uh, Olympics were held in Mexico City, uh, Mexico, and um, the marathon uh, in that day was the last event uh, to take place uh, for the Summer uh, Olympic Games. And so, the stadium was completely packed; it was completely full. Uh, thousands and thousands of people there uh, to witness the final event of the 1968 uh, Olympics and uh, it it was a marathon and um, there was a a runner from Ethiopia who uh, come into the stadium and when it comes to the marathon and the Olympics the last thing you do is you come into the stadium and you jog or you don't jog you're still running I guess around the track one time to the finish line and so when he came into the track, he was well ahead of everyone else and the crowd as soon as he entered the stadium, they stood up, they're clapping, they're applauding him. There's a thunderous roar uh, of cheering going on for this runner who is uh, finishing the Olympics in a in a he didn't he didn't set a record, but he was way ahead of everyone else. And so as he crossed the finish line, people were going crazy. They're they're yelling and screaming and it was considered um, one of the greatest victories for the marathon because he was so far ahead of everyone else. The deal is, though, with that story is it his victory is not considered the greatest moment from the 1968 marathon in the Olympics. You see, well behind him, there was a man from Tanzania. And this man from Tanzania, um, his name was John Akwari, uh, was really struggling. Um, after about 30 kilometers, he, he, his head was throbbing, his muscles were hurting, and he falls and collapses uh, to the ground. He had suffered serious leg injuries because where he trained... And where he was running in the Olympics were completely different, and his body wasn't used to it. And so he had torn all kinds of muscles and things apart and and away from the bone in his leg. And he had suffered these serious leg injuries, and the officials of the race, after looking at him, said that it would be best if he just quit. And he didn't listen to them, and so with his knees bandaged up and, and with all that he had, he picks himself up... He ends up hobbling the remaining 12 kilometers towards the finish line. By the time he arrived in the stadium, only about 1,000 people were left to greet him when he got there. And you can imagine, here comes the last runner, and about 1,000 people see him, so they're kind of cheering, but everyone else had cleared out. The Olympics were basically all but over. And he goes, and he's hobbling around the track, getting to the finish line, and there was a camera crew that had been set up to for the medal ceremony that's how far back he was the medal ceremony had already taken place but there was a camera crew over there and when they saw him enter the stadium they turned their cameras towards him and they watched as he go, went all the way around the track and he collapsed across the finish line to finish the race to this day his name and that effort is considered one of the most heroic efforts In Olympic history afterward he was asked by a reporter why he had not dropped out why didn't you quit when the doctors and everybody said it would be better if you just stopped and I I wrote down his answer for you because I think it's very telling his response to that reporter was simply this my country did not send me 9,000 miles just to start the race my country sent me 9,000 miles to finish the race. This story, like I mentioned, I believe is a tremendous example of being committed. In sports or in athletics, it is essential for athletes and teams to be committed to achieve their goals. Any team that is committed it is, has a distinct advantage from a team who's not committed because when things get tough, and in athletics, they will When adversity hits, and in athletics they will, a team that is committed will push through that and finish the race, whereas a team that's not committed will just roll over and quit. Now, what does that have to do with us? I believe the characteristic of commitment is not only essential for a great athlete or for an athlete to be great or for a team to be great. I believe commitment is essential for the church to be great. To be the church that God has called us to be. And so we're going to look at this idea of commitment today in relation to the church and its members. And we're going to do that by looking at a couple verses of Scripture. The first one is in Matthew chapter 16. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning in Matthew chapter 16, just going to read one verse to you, and then we're going to flip over uh, to uh, Acts chapter 2. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, Verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I will go ahead and read verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now flip over to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we have this story of a vital church growing after the preaching of Peter after Pentecost, and here's what it says in verse 40 down through verse 47. It says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they, being the church, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among as any one had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. And as we begin to examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase and that the words would be shared today would be yours and not mine. And you will find um, our hearts open and ready to receive your word today and that your spirit would work in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout Scripture, in Matthew chapter 16, I quoted a verse that's very common. Jesus said, anyone who wishes to follow me, must, or to be my disciple, must first deny himself daily, take up his cross, and follow me. You, if you look in the Gospels over and over, Jesus, when he called his disciples, he used a specific phrase. And the specific phrase, simple but very specific, was simply, Follow me. Follow me. I want you to know this morning that great churches follow Jesus. But to do that takes a tremendous amount of commitment to Jesus. Because as in athletics where adversity comes, problems arise... Trials come. Those really are nothing compared to what life will throw at you. Life is hard. Life has painful moments. Has hard moments. Has scary moments. Has difficult moments. And if we're not committed... To following Jesus, when that adversity hits, we'll walk away. One of the greatest testaments to that in scripture, and I didn't read these verses, but it's a story simply found in the book of John, when Jesus was teaching on being the bread of life, the eternal bread of life. And he was comparing it back to the bread their ancestors had eaten, the manna from heaven and yet they ate the manna from heaven and they still died and he's saying but if you eat the bread of me you will not perish and the bible says that there was grumbling amongst amongst the jews and there was grumbling amongst even his disciples because the teaching was difficult it was tough and so jesus made a statement that we often hear and it's the statement very simply that says None of you can come to me unless the Father draws you to me. And the Bible says that 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 was such a tough time that many disciples walked away from Jesus. As a matter of fact, let me read this verse of Scripture, exactly what it says happened. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. But there still remained the twelve, and then this happened. Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter, who often would stick his foot in his mouth because he'd say things off the cuff, answered and said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, a committed person understands who they're committed to and what that commitment means. And so if a church is going to be a great church, then the church has to be committed to Jesus because as in life, as in sports, life inside the church gets difficult and gets hard and gets contentious from time to time. And when that comes, if the church is not committed to Jesus, people will quit. People will walk away. I read something today or the other day. It really made me um, kind of perk up because I think it's true based off all the stories I hear. But it said that America, the United States of America, is the only continent on the planet Where Christianity is not growing. And I had to ask myself, I wonder why that is. And I believe a big part of that is because churches lack commitment to Jesus. I think we have churches today that are committed to a lot of things. Some of them may even be good things. But we might lack commitment to Jesus. As Chuck would say right in his prayer right before we opened the word, wherever he leads, we would go. That's not easy for churches. It's definitely not easy in our culture today. If you've had your eyes open to any whatsoever, you know that a church that stands for truth is going to come under attack by our culture. So it gets very difficult in the life of the church. So it's essential, as you see, that a church, in order to be the church God's called them to be, They have got to be committed to Jesus, and that's the first thing that I want to point out to you about commitment this morning is that great churches are committed to Jesus. When I was a kid, one of the games that we would play often was follow the leader. If you never played follow the leader, you just simply had a leader and everyone else followed them, and then they would do, um, well, we would do crazy stuff to try to get people to stop following us, and then... As the things got harder and harder to do, or in sometimes in our case, more dangerous to do, uh, people would begin to slowly stop following the leader. But the last person to follow the leader won. The last person to be following the leader won the game. And when it comes to the Christian life and life in the church, I want you to know that's very similar to the game, follow the leader, where Jesus is our leader, and our goal is to follow him wherever, whenever, whenever. He tells us to go. And that's what it means to be committed to Jesus. In order for us to achieve what he wants us to achieve and be the church that he calls us to be, we must be willing to go wherever he leads us to go. And in order to do that, we must have a high level of commitment. Because this is why some churches aren't moving forward, because when God and Jesus begins to tell them to go a different direction, they're so stuck where the direction they've been going, they can't see change, and they can't change. As a matter of fact, as a pastor in Southern Baptist churches, it's kind of an ongoing joke, but but it's true in a lot of ways. Sometimes Southern Baptist churches view the word change as a curse word. We, we know what we've been doing. We've been doing it for 100 years. We know exactly what we need to do. But we, we forget that things change. Now, let me stop right there before anyone goes off and thinks I'm preaching something I'm not. We should never change our message. The message is Jesus Christ and him crucified, and with repentance and faith, people can have relationship with God. That hasn't changed. And any church that changes that, they're changing the wrong thing. We can't change our message, but we ought to be willing to change our method based off who we're trying to reach and who we're trying to meet. And sometimes God is leading churches sometimes to do that, and they just can't do it because change is uncomfortable. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. If you and I think change is uncomfortable, think back to the disciples that Jesus called and the changes they had to make. Simon and Peter were fishermen. So was Andrew. Simon Peter and Andrew were fishermen. And then all of a sudden, their disciples, preachers, who were unlearned, who had no real education. Yet Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I don't know about you, but catching fish and catching men probably are not the same thing. And one's probably a little harder than the other one. Then you got Matthew who was a tax collector all of a sudden following Jesus and advancing the gospel as a preacher. That's a little bit different because in that day a tax collector was robbing people of treasure and an apostle was giving people true treasure in the gospel. So whenever you and I begin to think oh change is just too difficult, we can't change you need to think back every time someone Every time Jesus called someone to him, it involved change. You and I, when we follow Christ, it involves change, correct? We were once walking away from Christ, and now to follow Christ, we had to change direction, right? And so there's change that's going to be involved in that. And and I'm not saying every change is of him in the church, and we ought to just change everything. But what I am saying is, if Jesus leads us to change, then we ought— to change, but to do that, you have to have a high level of commitment. Because if you're not committed to Jesus, those changes won't happen and the church begins to decline. Now, I believe that's why some churches aren't moving forward. They simply don't want to follow Jesus. But great churches are committed to following Jesus wherever He leads them to go. The second aspect of being committed to make a church great is that great churches are not just committed to Jesus, they're committed to worship. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on worship this morning, or actually even our next point, because they're actually the emphasis of our next two sermons. We're going to preach on worship next week, but, but great churches are committed to worship. Now, there is much confusion as to what worship is today. Uh, For some people, worship is simply music or singing. For others, worship is just an event to be attended. Uh, For others, even worship is an avenue of entertainment where we see the stage and the people on the stage as the entertainers, and the audience is the audience. I mean, we, we, we very much resemble the entertainment industry, if you think about it. Very much so um a stage with musicians and an actor where where do you find that at you find that on broadway and who are they entertaining the audience but true worship is simply this those on the stage are just lead worshipers the uh, the the congregation are the worshipers and they worship an audience of one and that's the lord jesus christ but sometimes we get that confused i had a pastor one time one of my favorite men in all the world (laughs) and say this he'd get up and he said some of you 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 need to get some joy in your life he's like some of you are sitting back like this like bless me if you can He was like, but I'm sorry to tell you, I ain't here to bless you. I'm here to bless God. And if you don't get blessed because I'm blessing God, then you might want to go somewhere else. He would just lay it out there. Why? Because he wanted to make sure the people out there knew that he wasn't there for their entertainment. And he wasn't there to make them happy. He was there to preach the word of truth to them and let the Holy Spirit use that to work in their lives. That's what we do. We lift up our songs and praise, not to entertain you, but to lead you to do the same. We preach the word of God to you, not to entertain you, but to lead you closer to God through his word that you may be changed. That's what we do. And any church, to be a great church, needs to be committed to biblical worship. So what is biblical worship? And again, I don't want to jump too far ahead because we're going to spend a lot of time here next week. But that's why I read the verse in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 42, and we'll sum it up real quick. In verses 42 and 47, I believe there are three aspects, and there's others, but I'm just going to sum these up for us in what true worship looks like. First of all, true worship involves the study of God's Word. If you look at it in verse 42, it says, "...and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine." Basically, they continued steadfastly in the teaching of the, the doctrine of the apostles, which is the, the foundational truths that we now have in Scripture. And so they, they gathered together and they studied what God and Jesus had revealed to the apostles and to the disciples. And they began to study those things and learn them so they could apply them <coughs> to their lives. A lot of people, there, there's a big debate in, in, in uh, pastoring right now where on what kind of preaching the church Needs or what kind of preaching is biblical and what kind of preaching is not biblical. And there's a big group of pastors out there today. They're they're called exegetical preachers. And what that simply means is exactly what we're doing on Sunday nights. They pick a book, they start in chapter 1, verse 1, and they work their way through the whole book. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that approach to preaching. That's what a lot of preachers do. Then the other, to- the other aspect is called topical preaching, where there's a topic and the pastor preaches around this topic. Now, if you've been here for any amount of time, you can pretty much tell what I do on Sunday mornings. I'm very much a topical preacher, and I've had a lot of debates because the pastors, a lot of them, that believe in exegetical only preaching, believes that pastors that aren't doing that aren't preaching biblically. The problem with that is when you read Paul, Paul didn't preach exegetically. Paul preached topically. All of his letters are topical letters. And so what I do is I pray and ask God to give me the topic that we need to cover And then for him to give me the word that I need to cover it so I can give that to you. And the reason why I'm adamant that that's the way God's called me to preach is because I believe sometimes there are churches out there preaching things that's not bad things to preach. It's just not relevant to what that church needs in the moment. Now, I'm not saying God can't use his word. I believe he always uses his word. But I'm telling you right now, when a church out there on a Sunday morning is trying to reach lost people or trying to engage their congregation to reach lost people, and they're preaching on seven foundational truths for dispensational theology in light of the blood moons of last year and the coming blood moons of this year, according to, you see what I'm saying? And yes, there are preachers out there that that's what they preach. Very long, very theological. Not that they're bad, they're not wrong, and I'm not saying anything bad about them. What I'm saying is sometimes the church is not getting fed what they need in the moment so they can follow Jesus in the moment for now, what they need now. And so great churches are focused on studying God's Word so that it'd be relevant for them and how that applies into our lives today. Um, They are focused, according to verse 42, on prayer. Prayer was an essential part of the church in the early church. (coughs) And it needs to be more of a part of the church today. We need to spend more time in prayer, both corporately and privately, and then... The third thing that I believe that they were committed to in their worship was praise. And you have to look down in verse 47 to that. It says "And daily they, they praise God together. They praised in verse 47. Now, I want you to know praise is essential because I believe with all my heart that you can't go out in ministry effectively and you've been, until you've been up to the Lord affectionately. Scripture, Jesus said it like this, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Now, the the overwhelming first principle that Scripture teaches is that unless Jesus was raised up and lifted up on the cross, then people couldn't be saved. And so he says, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And then he does that through leaving after the ascension and sending the Holy Spirit back to convict us and all that. I don't have time to go so much into that. But I believe there is a secondary principle that he's teaching. And that is when he's exalted and when he's lifted up, then he can draw people to himself. And so a church needs to spend time in the word of God. They need to spend time praying and they need to spend time praising. And great churches are committed to their worship in the Lord. And now herein lies the problem. Many just don't see the necessity for consistent worship of the Lord. We don't see a need to be here consistently or, or constantly, and, and so we don't we don't get into the word like we should. We don't pray, and we <coughs> we very seldom spend time corporately praying. When I first started in the ministry, even when I was growing up as a teenager, when our church talked about people being committed to church attendance. A committed church member was considered those who were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, right? Do you all remember those days? When, when you would say so when, when, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and, uh, com, those that were committed were there those three times, or as other people would say, they were there every time the doors were open. <coughs> and then you had those who were committed, but, but not fully committed, and, and you, they were the, considered, you know, they'd be, two out of the three most weeks. And then you had some that were there, you know, once a week, which is normally Sunday morning. Do you know now, <coughs> excuse me, pretty much the universal the universal definition of committed is just their Sunday mornings. Anyone who's just there Sunday morning, that's considered committed. And we've, we've went from committed being, we come and attended now. Someone's like, oh, he's going to preach on not coming to church. And The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, said, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as the heathens do. But all the more as you see the day. Approaching Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. As we get closer to the return of Jesus, we need to spend more time together, not less. Why? Because scripture says that as the day gets closer, times get harder, evil will grow. Hello, look around. I don't know about you, but I was thoroughly disgusted in the last few weeks when. They passed a law in New York allowing birth, uh, abortion up to the moment of birth. We can sit here and discuss abortion all day long and be graceful. That's murder. And now you've got a state in our, in our culture voting, and, and they have a governor who thinks that it's okay for them to even consider post-birth abortion. Murder. That, it's murder in our culture. Yay! And we want to meet less. (laughs) No, we need to meet more. Why? Because when we come together, we praise God together, we study God's word together, we're strengthened together, and we can go out and make an impact together. That's why. And so great churches are committed to worship, and then lastly, (coughs) excuse me, been battling this call for about two weeks. Great teams are committed to their mission, simply. Great teams are committed to their mission. For any team to be successful, they have to stay committed to their mission. A lot of teams struggle when adversity hits, and it will, because when it hits, they lose sight of their mission and they become focused on their problem. And many will come to the conclusion that accomplishing the mission just simply ain't worth it. I mean, we can set goals, guys. In sports, like we next year, Brendan, you're a junior. Next year, your senior year, we come to football and say, "Let's set some goals." And we can do those all day long. But if we don't have any commitment to achieve them, are we going to achieve them? No. Why? Because in football, adversity hits. Right? You've been hit by some of them. It it hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Adversity comes, and if you're not committed to your mission, when it hits, you're not going to continue. Why? Because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I, I, don't, uh-uh. I don't want any part of that. What about the church when adversity hits? Are we going to stay committed to our mission? Or do we not see it as worth it? Well, what's the mission of the church? Maybe if I just tell you what the mission of the church is, it should just tell you, yeah, we ought to be committed to that. The mission of the church is found in Matthew chapter 28, and that's to go into all nations, baptizing them, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus told his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission of the church is not just meeting together on Sunday or Sunday night or Wednesday. The mission of the church is not singing songs and and opening the word of God and praising God. The mission of the church is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's the mission. And let me tell you something. When a church starts accomplishing that mission, you put a big old target on your back. And you're going to come under attack. And you're going to have adversity. And you're going to have trouble as a church. So are you going to stay committed or are you going to quit? I believe some churches just roll over and quit. I, for one, I'm not much on quitting. I don't believe in quitting. Almost to a fault sometimes. But I definitely do not believe the church should ever just roll over and quit. Because I'm committed. I'm committed to Christ, to, his, to worship, and to the mission. And for a church to be great, we must be committed to those as well. You know, we live in a throw away and jump around society. Where when something goes bad, you just throw it away. Or if you don't like what you're getting, just go somewhere else. And that's led to a severe downturn in commitment to anything. And if we're not careful, commitment can begin to wane inside the church as well. And I believe it's already started in a lot of churches. And if we're not careful and it infiltrates our church, that church is in for a rocky at best future. We must stay committed even when things get hard or things don't seem to work. We must stay committed to Christ, worship, and our mission. How do we stay committed when things get hard? Just like Paul or Peter said when Jesus said, Don't you want to quit too? That's not what he said. He said, Don't you want to go away too? It's the same thing. Don't you want to leave? Don't you want to quit? Peter said, Where would we go? You. Have the words of life. How do we stay committed? Realize who we're committed to. He's the only one that has words of life.